Ephesians chapter two, we're going to read from verse 11 and let's hear God's word. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And we thank the Lord for this reading of his truth. Amen. Just as we enter into this passage, I'm thinking right now maybe of a couple of what we might call significant advertising slogans. Uh, you'll know when it comes to something like, like Nike, it's just do it, or if it's KFC, it's finger licking good, or, or those phrases have the power to sell uh, lots of stuff just by, by the mention of it, and they become uh, very closely associated either with the institution or the company or with an individual. And to help me this morning, there's one phrase that I haven't heard for a couple of years now, but you will know exactly who said it and that it's, we're going to build a wall. And uh, you will know exactly where that little phrase come from. And it's going to be useful for us uh, because the way into the passage we're going to read today is by looking at uh, the temple. And I'm going to use that phrase, we're going to build a wall in many ways, just to try and get a sense of what was actually happening in those very specific, very detailed instructions that God gave and the purpose for which God gave when it came to building the temple itself. Because the architecture of that building was very significant, very detailed to get a message across. So even the architecture and the layout of the temple was designed 
to teach you something about God. It was to teach you how to know God. It was to teach you about God Himself. Fundamentally, it's about the fact that men and women want to meet God and here was the place where it was going to happen. But essentially, the temple is just a, a series of walls. Uh, if you, if you look at the top half, but the centre of the top half of what the temple would have been, and in that would have been the Holy of Holies. This was the, the place where God was, was deemed to, to live on the earth, to reside on the earth. It was on top of the, uh, of the Ark of the Covenant in between the two cherubim that it was understood that God dwelt. And yet that was a place that was so scary and so otherworldly, as it were, so dangerous to be that there was only one man once a year, the high priest, who was able to go into that place. And anyone else who simply would have strolled into that place would instantly have been put to death. So you were not allowed to go in there. So there were four walls built around that, which was teaching something, which we'll get to in a moment. But outside of that, was the place where the priests would have worked. And as they ministered in God's name, doing certain functions, but that was the place only priests could enter into. And so they built another set of walls around that, which was saying that, well, only the priests can go into this next section. So outside of that would have been the, the area for Jewish men. And only, of course, only Jewish men could go that far. That's as far as the average Jewish man was able to get as close to God as he could. And there were more walls built around that. And outside of that area would have been the place where the Jewish women were able to go. And that was as close as they were able to get to God. And there were walls built around that. And then the 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 other section, the bottom half of, of the temple would have been the, the court of the Gentiles where anyone uh, would have been able to go. But all this teaching and all the architecture was designed to reinforce this idea that God is holy and that God is different from us and that you cannot just, of your own volition, just walk in and get as close to God as you might want. And it was also teaching that there was a way to forgive sin and that sacrifices for sin had to be made and it was made in the way that God had prescribed. So the serious message of all of that, and we get it, is that we want to meet God. We want to have our sins forgiven, but sin really is a big deal and you can't just brashly go into God's nearest presence. And so that's an important message that we, we need to pick up on. We, we need to know, we need to understand that. But negatively, it does rather shout out this picture. Don't come any closer. It also communicates, keep out. You're not allowed to come into this nearer place. And even that message is important for us because it also reminds us that this is the bigger storyline of the Bible because the ultimate narrative 
The big narrative of the Bible is that sin is serious, that affects us all. And of course, we want to have our sins forgiven, but that was all part of God's plan because it, everything points to Jesus. And Jesus was the one who was going to come into the world. And Jesus was the one who was going to give us life. And as he surrendered his life, that our sins might be forgiven. And that's what the architecture, even of the temple, was about. Ultimately, it's pointing to Jesus, the one who was going to give himself and surrender his life for our sin. And that's why earlier we read from Ephesians chapter 2. And maybe if I go back in that passage and read with you again verses 14 to 18. Now, these words can be a little bit dense, and there's, there, there's a, a lot of words that are in here. But I want you, as we read these words again, just to allow those words to settle into our thinking as we understand what Jesus has done for us in the context, even of the temple architecture, of breaking down these barriers, breaking down these walls so that we might be able to come close to God. So verse 14, it says, for Jesus, he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations and his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit, bringing Gentiles and Jews together. And that word, peace, and there is something in that word which resonates in all of our hearts that we want to know a peace that God can give. And that word is everywhere at this season, isn't it? We see it on our Christmas cards. We see it in so many places. And for a lot of time, a lot of people, Christmas might be your favorite time of the year. You know, if you, I guess if you like mince pies or you, 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 you like Christmas jumpers and that sort of thing, uh, you really love Christmas and all it's, all it's about. But for other people, we, we have these constant reminders that Christmas can be really, really challenging. It can be really, really difficult if you're, if you're stressed out or there's some family members and they've got health issues. And it's just the, the pure craziness of this season because instead of experiencing this calm peace, that's, Christmas is just rather hectic. It's, it's, we're always on the go, we're visiting people, we're doing things, we're getting stuff. And particularly also, if, you, if there are family issues going on in your life and tomorrow you're expecting to go and visit someone and it's, you're expected to play out happy families at times and you know it's far from that. And so we would love to experience peace. Over this past month, we have been looking 
at some of the, the names that were given to the Messiah who was predicted by Isaiah. And Tom, when he was leading our worship this morning, reminded us of those names. And today we're thinking of the final one, which is the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, verse 6, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We would love to experience this peace. Again, just thinking practically, have you ever considered that even in, in the context of Christian marriage, that at times when we believe in the, the principle of Christian marriage, you might look at a couple and you might say, look, there's a Christian guy and there's a Christian girl and it should all be straightforward and it should be a wonderful, peaceful experience. And yet statistics would show that even amongst Christian marriages, things are no different from anyone else who happens to be married or even just being, being together. Or we consider the financial strain that maybe even Christmas puts upon people. I was chatting to an elderly uncle of mine during the week and he's nearing 90. And one of the things he said to me was that, you know, when I started work and I was earning five pounds a week, he says, I'm no better off today than I was way back then. And yet we, we have these expectations and people get, get really uptight about the, the finances and the stresses and, and we certainly don't experience this peace. Or there's relationship tensions with, with maybe with neighbours or with, with, with other, other people that maybe you work with. And that's one of the reasons you're glad just to get a few days away from work because we don't experience peace in, in those contexts. You turn on the news and you, you see fighting and you see anger and you see hostility and we wonder again, where is the peace in all of this? And the Hebrew that we've been looking at for Prince of Peace is the image that's up behind me just now. And we have been reflecting upon these titles each time, the Tsar Shalom. Uh, the Tsar, as we've been seeing each time, is simply the one, we might describe that as being the, the chief, the, the captain, uh, the important person, as it were, the Lord. And in this context, it is the Prince, the chief of peace. And when the Bible is talking about peace. It's not just talking about a, a lack of hostilities. It's talking about wholeness. It's talking about completeness. It's talking about satisfaction. So Jesus, the promised Messiah that Isaiah is talking about, is referencing the one who is the Lord, the chief of contentment, of peace, the one who alone is able to give that. And so the question that I've been posing all the way through this is do we actually know this peace that Jesus and Jesus alone can offer to us? And I think perhaps the best way that I can help you understand your need of it or what you want of it is by going, I think it's the west rim of the, of the Grand Canyon. And if you've ever been there, 
That's on the, the side that the, the, the Native Americans are in charge of. And to help you enjoy the, the Grand Canyon and all of its wonder, they have built a, a glass walkway out in a, in a semicircle out beyond that. So when you, when you step onto that glass walkway and you look down, you can see it is a mile down there. But a lot of people don't want to step out onto that. They just can't cope with, with looking down through the glass. And so what they've, what they've done is they've put a, a gray carpet around the middle. So the carpet runs the entire semicircle off that. And as long as you are standing on the carpet, you can imagine that there is solid ground underneath you and you can feel content and happy with that. But if you look over to the side, you can see the reality. You can see that it is straight down. And people, as they walk on the carpet, may feel a lot more peace and a lot more contentment about where they are actually standing. But if I use that maybe to think about your relationship with Jesus right now, because if you wandered off the carpet, if you wandered off to the side, you can experience that chaos and that fear and that anxiety. And it may be, if you were to see that your relationship with Jesus is being in the center and being on the carpet, as it were, and, and trusting and relying in Jesus alone, but it may be that you would wander off a little bit and you wander off to the side and you do your own thing, you follow your own leadings, you're not interested in what Jesus is saying or suggesting to you, even in the context of what I was beginning our service with and saying that I actually have no room for Jesus. And so some of us at times may wander off and we do our own thing. We, we're not listening to Jesus. And that may be why, of course, that you are not experiencing that sense of peace. And yet for some others even here, if I go back to my analogy on the Grand Canyon, is that you haven't even stepped off from the edge yet in that you're just looking out there. And there may even be some people here today and the, the reality is, is that you haven't even taken that first step of faith and commitment and knowing and following Jesus. And that is why in your life you are not experiencing any sense of peace and contentment because you don't know Jesus, the one who is able to give you that peace and that contentment, the one who makes that difference in your life. And what Jesus is challenging you today to do is to take that step and to stand solidly upon him. So as I may bring to even a conclusion what I'm thinking about today in terms of Jesus being our peace, there are two things that I want you to be convinced of. That Jesus, as he is described in the Bible as the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, that Jesus is the peace who comforts you. So even if your experience today, looking deeply into what is going on in your life right now, that maybe what you think is everything is haywire. There are so many reasons for anxiety. 
it would appear that there are so many things that are going wrong and you are afraid and that you do not have this internal spiritual peace. I want you to know today that Jesus wants you to know this peace. We go back to John's gospel. In some words of Jesus, John chapter 14, Jesus said, peace I leave with you. And you know that even as Jesus said those words, that he says, it's not a peace like anybody else can give. It's not somebody else's experience of peace. It's not even your own experience of this. It is my peace that I am actually giving to you. And so Jesus specifically says, I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. So wherever you are, wherever age you, you, you are, whatever is going on, whatever is going wrong in, in your situation, Jesus wants you to experience the peace and the blessing that he can give. And as well as the Prince of Peace who comforts you, that Jesus is ultimately the Prince of Peace who saves you. It is through Jesus that we can have eternal life. It is, he is the one who makes us to be at peace with God. Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, that verse goes on to say, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of the turmoil of life, even when our private world might be falling apart, we can have a peace that this world cannot understand. So I encourage you today to, to rest and to trust in Jesus, the Sar Shalom, the Prince of Peace, the, the captain of your salvation, the, the one who, who, who wants you to experience this deep, deep, deep contentment amid the disorder and the chaos of life. And if anything, that's the best Christmas present that any of us can know. So perhaps just as we, we, we finish at, at this point, just to, to pause, to be still in God's presence. And then in a few moments, we're, we're going to stand and sing. But let's just be quiet in the Lord's nearer presence. Let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we reflect on our need of peace, every one of us here can acknowledge that our lives are far from calm. Every day there is a new situation that seems to arise that almost takes the feet from under us. But we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are strong, that you are steady when we are wobbly, when we are uncertain, you are clear and definite. And so, Lord Jesus, we want to rest solidly upon you today. And we leave our burdens and our anxieties before you. 
And even Lord, if it's something that we have brought upon ourselves because we mess up and we have hurt other people and we have damaged things, we have sinned. Lord, in our weakness, we come to you. And we come, Lord Jesus, that you would pour out your spirit upon us and that we might know this deep, eternal peace. So Lord, fill us. Shower us with your blessing and the certainty of the gospel. Lord, speak deeply to our hearts as we reach out to you, the one who has died the one who calls us to himself, the one who is always present for us in spite of our faithlessness, in spite of our sin, Lord, you call us afresh. So we come to you. And it is in our Saviour's name we pray. Amen.